Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. We hope you're doing well and staying safe and healthy and calm throughout this thing that we are all dealing with. Denise and I wanted to bring you a show that has nothing to do with a virus or a pandemic or anything really scary. What we thought we would talk about was actually brought to us by a listener who emailed and asked us, can we please talk about the empath and self-sabotage? and how an empath can really emerge and embrace him or herself as a leader. So that's our topic for today, and we hope you enjoy this little reprieve from scary news and, and current events and online schooling and all of that stuff. So instead, sit back and learn how you might be self-sabotaging yourself. <laughs> <laughs> a fun and uplifting show. I tried to make that fun and uplifting, and then I thought, okay, wait, this isn't really coming out that way. This is big, big topic of, you know, so many of us limit what we're capable of. And I think with this shift that's happening right now, stepping away from self-sabotage and stepping more into our true authenticity is going to be a huge tool to get on the other side of this and to maybe redefine ourselves when it's over. I agree. You know, I I know that I have self-sabotaged in my life. I'm sure you have too. I I think everyone has. (laughs) (laughs) but it was interesting when I was at first I was like do I really need to research anything for this show like surely Samantha you know everything there is to know about self-sabotage from personal experience (laughs) but then I thought no I probably should do some research and when I did I came up with all these different ways that we self-sabotage and some of them I resonate with some of them I don't So I thought I would just kind of run through them and we can talk about how they relate to us and empaths in general. And then we'll move into a more positive segment of the show where we talk about how you can break that pattern and emerge as the leader you truly are. So I define self-sabotage, Denise, as, as when you deliberately or subconsciously prevent or push away your own success. Do you think that's a good definition? I think that's a very good definition. I, I really do. And so many of us do this, whether it's the artist who is caught up in perfectionism and can never launch the product, whether you have this brilliant idea for a business, but you find ways to not step into that. This list is amazing because it's, I think everyone will find something that they resonate with. Okay, so here are the top 10 ways you might be self-sabotaging yourself. So the first one on my list is that many empaths feel this huge sense of needing to be there for everyone. And they fear, if I'm successful, then how can I continue to be there for those that need me? And I, I think this is something everyone can resonate with because for empaths who are busy taking care of others or who maybe feel more comfortable being the wind beneath someone's wings, They might subconscious, and I think a lot of what we're going to talk about occurs on a subconscious level. That little current of inner thought that's always running in your head that you're not even aware of unless you take the time to pause and meditate and go within. But I do think we all have this recurring running tape in our head that's playing the same message. And one of these messages might be Hey, little one, if you get really, really big, how are you going to be there to fix all these other things you're doing? So I think that's an important thing to consider in your own life. Am I preventing my success because I'm afraid I won't be able to have time to be the mom, to be the dad, to be the partner, to be the assistant to my boss, to be the amazing best friend? And it also goes back to will, the vulnerability of people seeing who you really are. Because if you step away from that self-sabotage, and you launch the product, you write the book, you sing the song, you lead the company, that's not a view people may have had of you in the past, which leads to a vulnerability. Which is hard. Out of your comfort zone. That's yes. number two on my list. Some empaths are truly afraid of being seen and heard for who and what they are. Many right. empaths are just so comfortable standing back and observing from the shadows, and it's this fear of success, which is really rooted in a fear of being heard valued and seen that holds back these empaths. Now, I'm not saying I'm like this big success. I, I'm just not saying that. I, I think there's way further ahead that I need to go. But in the little success I've had with the podcast, 
I have had this fear. I can't tell you, Denise, how many times after we're done recording, especially in the early years of Psychic Teachers when we were live and there was no editing button and we'd stop recording, I would go, Samantha Faye, what did you just say? <laughs> you know, that fear of like how much of yourself, your, your raw self did you just share? And it would really freak me out. And then I would think, well, I didn't say anything bad. Anything I said was true. Why am I so afraid of sharing my truth? And yet I do think a lot of us empaths have that fear of being seen for who we really are, that vulnerability that you were just talking about. Right. Now, number three on my list, many empaths are already feeling run down and tired from feeling everything and carrying everyone else's stuff. That even though they might have great ideas for success and wonderful plans, they lack the energy to implement the successful ideas in real time. So if you're running around trying to be there for everyone and fix this and, and stop up that dam and put out that fire, how are you going to have the, the success and the energy reservoirs to actually implement your amazing ideas? And I That's think sometimes... I do too. Don't you think sometimes we use that as an excuse to not work on ourselves? I think that this, out of the three you've mentioned so far, this one is, has come up over and over and over for myself, for people I care about, for people I've done readings with, of I don't know where to fit it in. I don't have the energy. Am I supposed to do this at 2 o'clock in the morning? But when you talk to them, or I'm even using myself, I'll see these plans, I'll see these products, I'll see these visions in my head, and I'll be like, oh my, all I have to do is boom, boom, boom. But it's a matter of stepping up to even start the boom, boom, boom. Exactly. And making yourself a priority to right. create the boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is especially hard for me personally as a parent, because so many things that I want to do I've gotten so in the habit of just putting on the back burner because I have to do X, Y, and Z for my kids or get A, B, and C done for the house or have their friends over or go meet with their teachers or whatever, on and on and on. But I think even for people who aren't parents, empaths still do this. They do it with their coworkers. They're always taking on, you know, hey, can you stay late? Sure. Can you work on this project and help? You're so organized. We could really use you. Okay. We do this with neighbors. Hey, would you mind helping out on the HOA committee this year? We could really use your help. Sure. We do it at church. Can you sign up for this committee? Could you teach that Sunday class? Okay. And we just keep tackling on again and again and again other people's stuff. And then we don't have the energy to do what we need to do. So making yourself a priority, I think, is so important. Number four on my list is some empaths struggle with a lack of self-worth and will prevent their success out of a belief that they have nothing worthwhile to share with the world. Now, that's something I know I've struggled with. Every time I put out an e-course or any time I work on a, a novel or a nonfiction piece, I think, wait, what am I saying? Is, has this not been said before? Why am I doing this? Who wants to hear what I have to say kind of thing? Yeah. Number five, everyone wants to be liked by their peers, but empaths can feel and sense the true feelings of those around them in ways others can't. So some empaths self-sabotage their success because they subconsciously don't want to feel the envy or jealousy of their friends and colleagues. They'd rather be accepted than successful and often see this as an either-or issue when in reality it isn't. You can have both acceptance, respect, support, and success. Now, I have seen this a lot, especially if we're going to talk class systems, which I know everyone says doesn't exist in America, but let's all call BS on that. And haven't you seen this in certain types of careers where if you're trying to reach beyond the comfort zone of that career, people will kind of pull you back down? It very much so. And also, if you've worked to uh, step away from your family of origin if you grew up in a less than ideal situation and you've, you've found some success or you've found more financial stability, then you have that internal struggle of, am I not being true to who I really am? And there can be a lot of 
exactly what you said, jealousy, envy, who do you think you are kind of stuff, which as empaths can also be a really huge deterrent to being able to step more fully into the work you came here to do or the success that you have every right to embrace. Yeah. I have a friend who comes from a very humble background and she is a very big success and she married a very big success and together they just keep making more money. It's amazing to watch. Yet when she goes home for holidays, she's never applauded for that success. And in fact, her parents are really religious. And so anytime, like if she buys a new car or if she goes on a fancy vacation, instead of saying, oh my gosh, we are so proud of you. Like you did this. Look, step back and look, you built this. You did this all by yourself. They don't say that to her. They say that could have gone to the church. Oh my. Yeah. And I just think that's such a weight to, to give to someone. I don't, I don't understand it. And I, I think it'd be very hard to live with. Now, I remember when I was teaching, I had a fisherman in my class and we were reading some essay that kind of was talking about this concept. It was, um, it was a wonderful, I wish I could remember the short story, but it's about this man and he's coming home from his Ivy League school to his blue collar father and the blue collar father challenges him to an arm wrestle and the Ivy League son beats his father. And it's this, this metaphor for when you hit that point where you realize you're moving beyond the bounds of your family and how triumphant and shaming that is all at the same time. So we're talking about this story in class and this fisherman raised his hand and he said that makes me think of crabs and i'm thinking oh please god don't talk about stds in my class right now (laughs) so i was like excuse me could you tell me what you mean by that and he said well sure when we're out fishing and we catch crabs and i thought oh thank god he said we put the crabs in a bucket but we don't have to put a lid on it and i said why is that and he said well the minute one crab gets to the top the others pull them back down Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's like such a great symbol for what so many people do to others when they're trying to get out of the crab bucket. Okay. And I, just before we move on to the next one, I also think if you have stepped into your light or you're in the process of doing that and people start treating you differently who have been in, and I'm just going to use our example as being entrepreneurs, as being in spiritually based businesses, and someone else who may have a similar business that may not have, have taken off quite as quickly or they haven't had the time or energy to put the work in or whatever the variables may be. As empaths, you may feel that they're, they're showing you this face of, oh, isn't that great? You're doing well. But instead, it feels like you get punched in the heart because they're really not happy for you. And I think sometimes we may self-sabotage or dim our light because we don't want to feel that from our our peers or from our colleagues. That is beautifully said. Yep. And that's why we dim our light. I love the way you said that. All right. The next one is empaths who are the fixers and rescuers often attract negative or toxic relationships. And so the drama, instability, and drain of being in these relationships can prevent an empath from creating true success. So oftentimes, if you are a fixer, or a rescuer in your own life, you might be draining your energy by trying to help all these people in your lives who are really toxic and they don't even want to be helped. I call those the yeah, but people. You know, when you actually give them help, you give them a lifeline, a rope, an anchor, and they say, yeah, but what I really need is this. And I've had to sit back in my own life and and think, okay, you're a walking tornado. You don't want help. You just want to be a tornado. So I'm going to step around you and give you a wide berth. I've drawn a really thick line in that sand and, and said no to a lot of those relationships. What popped into my head with this one is if you're in a situation where there's codependence involved, or you're taking care of a toxic person in your life. Similar to what you just said a few minutes ago about when you're you're a full-time parent and you're right in the thick of it, a lot of times you don't get the time, energy, or to, to be able to focus on your stuff because the kids need something. 
where there's a soccer game or a homework assignment or a prom dress or an orthodontist appointment. So it's boom, 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 you're constantly going. That can kind of correlate as if you, that same kind of energy, if you're in a situation with someone who's very toxic or may have addiction issues or, and you're, you're swimming as fast as you can trying to keep up. Oh, yeah. Don't you think if you're in a relationship, a family with an addict, it's almost like the addiction becomes another family member. That's how much energy it takes. Yes, and it's a a familial pattern. It's not just the person with addiction. And it causes a big ripple, especially for empathic partners, children, parents. Um, It can be very insidious. Now, next on my list, many empaths don't really know who they are or what they want. And I just want that to sink in for a minute. Some empaths are so used to aligning and matching their emotions and vibrations with those around them that they've lost this sense of, who am I? So while you might want to be successful, in reality, you might have no idea what you need to focus on to create that success. These empaths need to focus on getting in touch with their truth their passions, their true desires and talents, and start to focus on what specifically success looks like for them. So if you think this might be you, sit back at some point today and think, okay, if I had to paint a picture, like just pretend we all could paint really, really well, and you had to paint a picture encapsulating what success looks like in your life for you specifically, what would you paint? And if you can't create that picture in your mind, then this might apply to you. Don't you think that a lot of empaths do that mirroring thing where they're just kind of aligning their vibrations, sometimes on a subconscious level, with the people around them, and they lose themselves in that process? Or they're so insecure, again, ties back to the self-worth, that may be afraid to make a decision based on what they want because they don't want it to be wrong. If you grew up in a household where there was ridicule or sarcasm or put-downs and you were a highly sensitive person, that can severely impact your ability to make decisions based on what you want, not what you think you're supposed to be. Or if you're, I'm just going to, I spoke with a woman recently, highly creative, incredible, huge, empathic heart, all of these things, but had a very traditional career all her life because her parents were so 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 much about no it doesn't matter if you want to do this you need to be safe and secure and do this for a job and I think sometimes as empaths we'll double guess ourselves that our choices are the right ones even though it feels right in our heart we don't feel strong enough based on what we're getting hit with from other people to be able to truly embrace that Yeah. And sometimes it can happen even in really, you know, uh, apparently functioning families. I don't know. Do those exist? I think they do. (laughs) I had a friend in college and he had gotten a full scholarship to a private high school in New York. He had gotten a full scholarship to college. So this is a really smart guy. And when he came home from college and was like, okay, what do I do now? Like, what, what am I supposed to focus on? What do I do with this degree? His parents pushed him into applying to be a mail carrier. Now, there is nothing wrong with being a mail carrier. Mine is Rick. I love him. He helps our lives so much. But this guy was so freaking brilliant. We were all trying to push him to go to med school to, to keep pushing with his amazing intellect. And yet his family was saying, no, 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 no. Get a good job with the government. It's safe. It's solid. It's steady. It's what your dad did. It's what your grandfather did. This is what you're supposed to do. And he was really conflicted and kind of bounced around for about five years. And he eventually did settle with a government job. And, you know, he's doing well because he's so freaking brilliant. But I feel he limited himself. So don't you think like even well-intentioned families can kind of box you in by saying this is who we are, so therefore that's who you are? Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. And agreed. It's not coming from a place of, of um, discontent or control. It's coming from a place of this is secure and solid and we want the best for you. Yeah, which ultimately is a place of fear. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Now, our next one, we actually devoted a whole show to this one a couple of months back. Perfectionists are often empaths. And so perfectionists who are empaths have this need to make everything perfect and just so. Everyone needs to be happy before they can pursue their own success. So in this quest for perfection, they will often delay their success until everything is just right. Perfectionists need to learn to accept the phrase good enough and just go for it. That's something I, I, I kind of understand. <laughs> That's a big one. It is. Because especially if someone is highly creative, in addition to being highly empathic, so it's giving birth over and over and over again with whatever you bring out into the world. But that's a huge thing. I was listening to a business podcast recently, and they said that's one of the biggest stumbling blocks for entrepreneurs is never launching what you really want to put out into the world because of that fear that it's not quite ready. It's not quite enough. And the person doing the podcast highly recommended and said, just put it out there. No, it isn't going to be the best one, but it's going to get your content out there. It, and that goes with painting the picture, writing the book, all of the things that we want to share, but getting over that, it's not quite enough, uh, and which again is vulnerability. It's hard. You know, I, I, have, I get lessons in that all the time in different ways. I've already shared this story, so I'll say it very, very quickly, but I have a PS to it. You're, I, I love to make art. I always have. I'm not great at it. I don't care. I, I like to do it. Time flies. It's meditative. It's fun. And so I was working on trying to accept, you know, my little art and doodles as something more than little art. And so I did this one drawing that I really, really liked. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to turn this into cards and I'll send it out to like clients and stuff as like a thank you because it had a positive message on it. I take it to the printing place. I'm like, hey, I'd like to have this turned into cards. And she looked at it and she said, oh my gosh, you must be so proud of your child. This is really good. Now, meanwhile, I had like my eight-year-old with me. <laughs> and I didn't have the courage to say, no, I actually drew this. I just said, yes, thank you. She's very talented. So she made the card. <laughs> It was really embarrassing, and it did kind of prevent me from sharing more of my artwork. And then I read, I've been reading this uh, near-death experience book. This is really, really good. It's about what we, the normal person, like the average person who hasn't had an NDE, can learn from NDEs. And one of the stories, this woman dies, she goes to heaven for 10 minutes, and one of the things she learns is that part of our purpose here is to just do what we enjoy. And so she says to her light being that she met in her NDE, I love to sing, but I'm tone deaf. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the being said, well, then sing, you must. And so since she came back from her NDE, she sings all the time. And she doesn't do it for pay, for success, for a career. She just does it for joy. And she writes in this book, in this one little chapter of her story, about how singing brings her so much joy and she never gave herself permission to do it because she's not good at it. And I looked at that story and I thought, Samantha, damn it, we're going we're gonna to keep on painting because you have to do what you enjoy. I think I've shared this and this is a little off topic, but not entirely. And I have this theory, if we come to earth as a school, have I already shared this on the, sh on the show? I don't think I don't so. If we come to earth as a school to learn life lessons, and I truly believe that we do, so many of us have had pain, loss, insecurity, instability, fear. And if you believe in past lives, many of us have done this over and over and over again. If we're truly coming to earth as a school to learn life lessons, we don't need to do that shit anymore because we already have that down pat. What we don't know how to do, and especially as empathic people, is to truly embrace our, our full self, to live in joy, abundance, wealth, and raise our vibration and make the most of being here. That's really all we have left to do. And I think part of that is the shift we're going into of this time that we're sequestered by choice or by necessity is giving us the time to look within and say, oh my gosh, am I living in my place of joy? Does this bring me joy? Am I raising my vibration or am I just throwing, just blindly following the, the sheep into the pen? Yeah, that's really well put. That'll make you think. What's helped me the most with this is our listeners. 
Because when I'm yeah. having these thoughts of, oh, I'm not perfect enough, I shouldn't be sharing this, or what I have to say isn't worthwhile, who the hell do I think I am to host a podcast? I get these emails from listeners and they'll say things like, I already know about blah, 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 whatever you and I have been talking about, but I really love the way you two present it. And whenever I read those emails, I think about all those quotes I've read through the years of like how there's nothing new under the sun, but how you birth it into the world is new. And, and that's how, so really and truly like the response from listeners has helped me a lot because it's made me realize, okay, I might not be reinventing the word empath. <laughs> I might not be reinventing how to teach people to be intuitive and embrace themselves, but the way it comes through me is unique to me and different. And that's what needs to be shared. So even like my artwork might look like an eight-year-old did it, but it's unique to me and damn it, I'm going to share it. And it doesn't look like an eight-year-old. Oh, well, <laughs> I probably just made you say that. Okay, <laughs> number nine, <laughs> avoiding hard truths can be a special talent for some empaths. Because they want everyone, including themselves, to be happy, they often avoid some hard facts. This can lead to staying in relationships and jobs long past their expiration date or having issues with finances such as debt or overspending. Now, this is something I don't relate to because as I've already shared, in my family, I was called the bullshit caller because I was the one who always called bullshit and would say, uh, hello, you guys, you're walking around that elephant. Let's talk about the elephant. Let's pat the elephant. Let's engage the elephant. And my family growing up would be like, what are you talking about? There's no elephant in the room. So this one I don't really relate to. Um, because it, it, I mean, it actually annoys me when I see people do this in their own lives, avoiding those hard truths. So don't you think a lot of people do that? I see this as two separate issues. Like the first part of avoiding the hard truths, uh, that doesn't resonate. But the second part of staying too long in relationships or jobs or the financial stuff, that rings the cowbell for me. The first half doesn't, but the second half does. And it, the second half, as far as it's all interrelated I think sometimes as empaths or just as human beings on the planet one of the reasons I, I stayed in marriage so long was because I gave my word I took vows I did everything humanly possible before it was just not possible anymore so there was that that moral stuff that can be involved with saying in a situation or you stay in a job because you're you get paid every two weeks and your kids have medical so I, I think that there's kind of a fine line with this one but I also think it and it, this has happened over and over and over folks is you reach that point where you say okay now I can't and you start taking the steps to to face those truths in a diff, with a different perspective so that you can move away from what's been keeping you stuck or limited. I totally agree with what you just said and I think maybe I didn't word it correctly in my notes because what I agree. I think all of us have stayed in relationships longer or jobs longer than we should have, not because we're avoiding hard truths. I didn't know you then, Denise, but I feel like I know you well enough to say, even at the end, you were like very honest with yourself about why you were still in that marriage. I mean, I feel yeah. like it's just who you are. And to me, that's different. That's being practical. That's being an optimist realist, as we talked about on the show. And is just recognizing that, okay, this sucks, but I'm staying in it for this. What I think this step is talking about is when you're doing the la, 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 you know, and you're, and you're saying, oh, everything's fine. This is great. I mean, I have a friend, I'm not kidding. I cannot talk about negative things around her because she'll go, I don't want to focus on that. I don't want to talk about it. And she does overspend because she just doesn't, she never looks at her bank statements. She doesn't balance her checkbook. She doesn't do her own taxes. She doesn't, she doesn't want to face any hard realities in her life. And I have a lot of compassion for that. I understand that. I mean, look, there are times when I'm on Amazon and I'm like, yes, you can afford to add that to your cart. I get it. But if that's a pattern where you're staying in a relationship or a job or spending too much because you aren't facing hard truths. To me, that's different than, you know, staying in a yes. marriage because yes. you took when you word vows. it that way, that way is completely different. 
Yeah, so I don't you think there are some empaths who they want to keep those rose-colored glasses on? It's just nicer in that fairyland than in the hard world of reality. It, it's easier. It's a yeah. lot easier in some respects. And it's funny, that's one of the, the psychic things that I get if I'm doing a reading is they'll show, I'll like, get a flash in my mind's eye of a house. It's a beautiful house, but all the, when I see all the shades and the curtains are pulled, it's always what's on the outside doesn't match with what's really going on in that person's reality. Mm -hmm. So what they're presenting isn't what, so don't you just love how spirit puts those things in our head? Yeah, that's so a great symbol. It, this correlates with that. It really does of what a lot of times I think we'll present to the world that it's okay, everything's fine, we're all right, it's not that bad, but we're going back into that house with the shades pulled of how have I let this happen? How have I let this debt mount up to what it is, which causes extreme anxiety or depression or fear? Yeah, and those are hard emotions to sit with. So I understand why people would want to avoid that. However, what you resist persists. And if you choose to avoid those hard truths, they're never going to go away. And sometimes, you know, you have to schedule time for that. I know that sounds weird and maybe perfectionist, but it's helped me a lot. When I'm going through difficult times in my life, I will literally schedule in days to devote to, to thinking about it, working on it, and planning around it. Right. Have, you ever, have you ever done that? Like you'll actually schedule like, okay, on Saturday and Monday afternoon, I'm going to call these people, work on this, research how I can get out of this job, focus on updating my resume, whatever it might be. But that, I think that can help if you're having a hard time dealing with a hard truth is just scheduling it into your week. Okay, and the last one on my list, because empaths tend to feel everything so deeply, some have developed a behavior pattern called negativity bias, where they expect the worst as a self-defense mechanism. While this can work in the short term for preventing feelings of letdown, remorse, and banished hopes, in the long term, it creates a perfect storm for sabotaging success. So I think this can be a little bit of the negative side of being an empath. You know, where because as historically through your life, you have felt everything so deeply in an attempt to avoid feeling the negative stuff as deeply, you just go ahead and plan for it. And then the outcome of that is oftentimes you create it and you push away the success that's really meant for you. I think in different times of our lives, we've probably all done that you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop, Murphy's Law, those types of things. So those are the 10 reasons I came up with for why empaths self-sabotage. If you have others, please feel free to share them. There are a lot of anecdotes, a lot of fixes for this that we will get to, but first I'd love for, for us to kind of segue into how can you move from self-sabotage into leadership? So now that we've covered the 10 ways we can self-sabotage ourselves, Denise, share with us some ways that we can morph into leadership roles as an empath. When we were talking about the self-sabotage, I think a lot of times people may be employees and they're wanting to go to a more leadership level or they're entrepreneurs and they want to take their game to the next level. What popped into my head was, we both know people who are very, very empathic are in corporate positions where they have to manage a team. So all of those things intertwine with if you're self-sabotaging and preventing yourself from stepping into a role that you might be absolutely beautifully suited for out of the, the reasons that Samantha already mentioned. And one of the things that entrepreneurs, you know, as empaths, a lot of us make great entrepreneurs, but to really utilize our unique gifts and leadership roles, it's that autonomy. And if you're in a position in a work environment where you're trying to go up to a more leadership role, finding a way to use your empathic skills as a superpower rather than a hindrance is a huge, huge part of this. Because we do, we all know, well, 99% of us as empaths we don't like to be micromanaged. We don't, we want that autonomy. We want to find a balance between accomplishment and downtime in order to do that. So if you're managing a team and you have someone on that's highly, highly empathic and 
very gifted at what they do and you can see them potentially in a leadership role one of the things to consider is please don't give this person busy work they've done their job they've done it well they've done it more quickly than someone else and then to pile something on that doesn't have meaning or worth it defeats the purpose of helping someone step up and have the the self-confidence and the autonomy to go into a more leadership role and i think we'll do that for ourselves as empaths, so we're going to flip over to being uh, an entrepreneur, is we'll get through a project, we'll say, okay, well, I, I did that, now I have to do this because I haven't done enough yet. There always has to be more, more, more. And we've talked about this in so many different shows, and this applies as well. Having that balance between work, success, what you're doing as a leader to either for someone else, as someone else, for whatever it might be, but also having that downtime to recharge our batteries. So I think that that's a huge, huge part that's often overlooked in a corporate or an employee situation. And I think when leaders can give their team members autonomy, it not only earns respect for the leader, but it also makes the team members feel more motivated to work not only as a group, but for that leader. Exactly. And when all those scenarios, having clear direction, so not being ambiguous, but having enough details and parameters that there's structure, but not that it's stifling. If we can look at, a, a, I'm just going to put this up in front, there's a project, these are, the, these are the objectives, these are the goals, whether, you know, however that looks for you. But then if you start putting in too much extraneous stuff, it dilutes it to the point where you can't keep your focus on raising it up to the next level. So Theodore Roosevelt made this, he said this years ago, obviously, people ask the difference between a leader and a boss, and a leader leads and a boss drives. And I think as empaths, part of our, our hesitancy to going into a leadership role is not wanting to be that boss and trying to figure out how can I keep my sensitivities and all these wonderful things I bring to the table and not fall into a leadership style that doesn't honor that. So, if, I mean, if you look at the six different leadership styles, there's coercive or commanding, you know, that, that person that many of us have worked for who wants immediate results. There's no wiggle room. You'll do it this way because I told you to. It borders on being a dictator. As empath, that wouldn't be a leadership style we'd step into, but it's also not one we really flourish in either. The pace setting kind of leadership where the person expects excellence and self-direction, so which why you know flips back to having enough autonomy to be able to do it bring your skills into it still having some direction so that you there's structure and direction to move to use authoritative moves people towards a vision uh affiliative values and creates emotional bonds and harmony democratic builds consensus through participation and coaching which develops the people depending i think i've read this beautiful beautiful thing so do you agree with those six leadership styles that they're all very succinct i do yeah i do i think that as empaths what what they need to what i think what we empaths need to embrace as a leader in addition to vision and giving people autonomy and all of that is having the confidence because i think bad leaders in my experience lead out of fear whether it projects as coerciveness or controlling or perfectionism or not at the root is fear and so in my opinion a good leader does not rule from fear they rule from a place of confidence and self-worth but also from an energy of we're all in this together yeah and the Peter principle, when someone has stepped into a supervisory role and they don't really have the level of experience or expertise to be in that and they flounder yeah. if someone's been promoted into that role or given that role or whatever. And I think as empaths, that's very difficult to have that type of a leadership style as well. I think it's so important for leaders to just listen. Yeah. You know, like I've had some really bad leaders in my life and I've had some really wonderful leaders and I've learned from them all. And at my old school where I taught, we had an issue because a lot of us started to get pregnant and have kids. And we started to ask for class schedules that would accommodate that. You know, at, a, at the college level, you can teach morning, afternoon, or evening. So we were asking for classes that would accommodate our families. And there were a lot of people in that department who didn't have kids. And they pushed back and they complained. And, you know, I could see both sides. Well, the first department chair said, okay, fine, fine. It's all going to be a lottery. I'm just going to 
put everyone's names in and whoever gets the crappy night classes gets the crappy night classes. Well, that didn't work. Yeah, it was fair, but it made everyone kind of unhappy and unheard. So then we got a new department chair and she, all of us moms, she accommodated our schedule, but then she pulled in all the people who didn't have kids and, and talked to them individually. And she said, okay, what schedule would work best for you? You know, I know, she said to this one person, I know you are a writer, which I would think makes you a night owl. So maybe one evening class a week would actually be good for you. It would leave you that morning to sleep in or focus on your writing. She listened to each individual person and made them each feel heard. And miraculously, we all got a schedule we loved and we stuck to it. And of course, we worked harder for her than any other department chair. And that's why empaths can make incredible leaders is because we can tap into the emotions and the needs of our employees or our team or our group or whatever that might be and help them feel valued and seen, which does promote more loyalty to the job, to the company, to the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Susan Storm in Psychology Junkie, she made some really good points about empaths can be very driven and goal-oriented people who easily assess a situation, see hundreds of underlying patterns and clues, and determine why you're in the position you're in and how to get out of it. So that can be incredible. And she kind of correlated that to if you have an NFJ type of personality. And then she also said many empaths have a more practical approach to how they sense the emotions of others. They're very aware of how people feel or touched by it, but then try to find a practical solution to a practical solution to get over it, get through it. But both make excellent facilitators of developmental and growth, especially when their environments are conducive to their unique needs. So if it's an NFJ, an SFJ, whatever label you want to put on it, that goes back to what I said a few minutes ago of seeing that your skills as an empath don't have to just be that you're bombarded with other people's emotions or that your sensitivities make you a sponge. They can also bring through these beautiful characteristics of being a, a, an acute problem solver by tying the two together. Yeah. Well, and, and thinking about the Knights of the Round Table, I mean, King Arthur, he w he's a legendary king because he led from a round table. And I think as a leader, we need to think about that. It's not a rectangular conference table that we're leading from where I'm at the head because I'm the boss. I think we need to see it as, yes, I'm worthy of being the, your leader. I've worked hard. I've earned this. The higher-ups promoted me to this position. So yes, I do have the confidence and esteem to be here. However, I'm just leading this circular table because we're all in this together. That's a perfect example. Another beautiful thing about empathic leaders, generally they're going to optimize the environment and not over-schedule those micromanaging meetings because they've developed this rapport with the team or they've given the parameters of what needs to be done. And exactly what you just said that your, your boss did, met with the team but also with the individuals to make sure everybody felt valued and seen, but also so there was no animosity among the other teachers. Exactly. I think we all do really, really well with that. And that's a leadership skill because when how many jobs have we, we both had where the manager or the director or the supervisor would pit one person against another and cause discord as a form of controlling or of you know causing alienation? And I think that that happens a lot as well. Divide and conquer. Yes. But the empathy skills that we have as a leader, we're stepping into a more leadership role. You can motivate and influence people because you know you're feeling how they feel. You're going to pick up on someone who's always on time and is an employee and wants to volunteer for things. If they come in and even if they're not visibly showing that and you feel anxiety or tension or exhaustion or any of the things that as empaths we pick up, you're going to be able to relate to that employee in a way and help and say, okay, is this where I need to step in and try something different to help this person be successful today? Because they feel off. Being seen is a huge, huge part of anyone wanting to be devoted to their job. People want to feel valued and seen, respected and appreciated. Doesn't that sound so, so obvious? 
And yet it does to us. It does. I know. <laughs> and I'm so shocked at how few people in this world actually do that. I mean, I, I, I can remember as a teacher, that's one thing I miss so much about teaching. When I could walk up to a student and say, look at this paper you just wrote. How amazing are you? This is like a perfect paper. Can I please hold this to show as an example to future students and to see them puff up with pride and all their lights and their energy turn on? I mean, oh, it was just the best feeling for them, I hope, but definitely for me. And I remember, you know, the few times a department chair would pat me on the back, how puffed up I'd be. And I would always think, now, was that so hard? <laughs> and yet, there are so few people who take time to really listen and hear people and, and pat them on the back when they're doing a great job. One phrase that I have always taken to heart as a teacher, and I do think a teacher is like a leader of the classroom, right? So I feel like I have some experience being a leader. And the one phrase that I always, always remembered, praise publicly, criticize privately. Yeah. You know, so if a student was doing something great or wrote a wonderful paper, I would tell the entire class. And I would say, hey, Johnny, get ready. I'm going to embarrass the hell out of you. And I'd make it a joke and, you know, and I'd go, everyone, check out this paragraph he just wrote. Is that a thesis sentence? I would really, I would try to do that in every class, praise publicly. But if Johnny wrote a paper with no thesis sentence, I wouldn't call it out in front of the class. When we were working on the papers, I'd go up and I'd whisper quietly. Or I'd say, hey, come see me during my office hours. We just need to talk about this. And I, I don't understand why that's so hard for some leaders. Because they're not wired that way. And just that's the perfect link to study on. Uh, it was done by Paul Bloom, a professor of cognitive science and psychology at Yale. And he wrote this book against empathy because he feels that empathy can distort judgment. I don't think he's very linear sequential. Anyway, sorry, that was sarcasm. But he, he did this study. Where wow. That, what's the name of that? Recording against empathy. Against empathy. Okay. Wow. Uh, Go ahead. In his study, he took two groups of people and they listened to the recording of a terminally ill boy describing his pain. And one group was asked to, descent, to identify with and feel for the boy. And the other group was instructed to listen objectively and not engage emotionally. And after listening to the recording, each person was asked, would they move the boy up to a prioritized treatment list managed by medical doctors, or would they not? And in the emotional group, three-quarters of the people decided to move him up the list against the opinion of the medical professionals and potentially putting other people at risk. In the objective group, only a third of the participants made the same recommendation. So he feels the study is a, as an example of how Empathy triggers our altruistic impulses, resulting in poor judgment that could harm many people for the benefit of one. And as leaders, uh, empathy can cloud our moral judgment. See, I can objectively, I can see that as a scientific thing. I can understand it. I can understand how people that don't feel as deeply would look at it that way. This is A, this is B, this is C. But I also think that the absurgence of, of empathy, of all of this beautiful wave that we're all stepping to, is exactly what is going to counter the darkness that we're going through right now, globally, is because we are reaching out, we are feeling, we are touching each other, not literally, obviously, in a way that we haven't ever so that, I, that, just, that one just fascinated the hell out of me, to be honest yeah, with you. me too. And maybe another good thing coming out of this terrible time is micromanaging will slow down because I think some companies are starting to see, oh, all these meetings really are pointless. Don't you know a lot of your medical people, I'm going to jump back a minute, a lot of the, I'm thinking of nurses I know, of, of physicians, of healthcare professionals, of people in those roles that can be very science-based that are some of the most empathic people I have ever met in my life. So to, to keep that balance between that level of empathy and that level of needing to come from a scientific perspective, wow. That's a superpower. I, that just forced me. Yes. Yeah. And I they think do it every day. 
They do. And I, I think if you're an empath in the science medical field or just the corporate world in general, you're going to have a harder time than the average person. Never mind that guy who's against empathy. But I think what what the point we're trying to get across in this show is that you can turn your empathy into an actual superpower and use it to make you a better leader. Because if you can put yourself in other people's shoes, which is really what an empath is great at, then you can reflect back to that individual what they're feeling and sensing and worrying or hoping about and use that to help them not only be a better coworker, but be a better leader in their own role. Especially if you're a highly sensitive person and you're dealing with either volatile or intense emotions or other people's energy, our choice is either to deflect that, suppress it, or, or own it. And as a leader, to be able to differentiate between those. But also, we have a resonance and compassion that is invaluable for leadership roles and relating to others, particularly in challenging work situations. So rather than taking on those emotions and problems, our compassion can help other, we can diffuse issues and also help people own their emotional stuff or their strengths and weaknesses in a way that is empowering, not enabling or debilitating. You know, my dad pushed all three of his girls to avoid the corporate world because he was an empath and he knows we are all empaths and he didn't want us to deal with that. And if you asked him to describe working in the corporate world, he would always use one word, dehumanizing, you know, because there are so many situations. I do think that's changing, but there's so many situations in the corporate world where it's down to numbers. And, you know, we're even seeing that at the college level too. It's a business. And it's all about numbers. And that can feel very, very dehumanizing. But I watched him as a leader and I watched, I've, I had two amazing department chairs and I watched them as leaders and they put the human back into the work that we were doing. And I think all of those leaders were able to do that, not only because they had such a rich, wonderful level of empathy, but also because they just genuinely cared about us. And if you care about your team and you care about your work, I think organically you're going to emerge as a good leader. I agree. So many empaths are focused on the greater good. And for a company or a business or whatever, it's going to be challenging for an empath to make decisions for the corporation and take care of the employees at the same time. But the company is also more likely guided towards ethical standards of practice. And at the end of the day, if you have an empath that has that ethical standard that they're leading, the decisions are going to usually be more beneficial for everyone involved as well as for the company. Exactly. And you know how I was saying before, I think more leaders need to pat their employees on the back and, and you know remark on things that they're doing well. I think that leaders who are empaths need to do that for themselves too. And to really sit back on the weekends and think, all right, What did I do that was really, really well done this week? Because you might be working for a corporation who's not patting you on the back necessarily or is only looking at the bottom line that you're producing. So you might have to pat your own darn self on your back. And and I think if no one's going to do that for you, well, then why not do it for yourself? And if you can't do it for yourself, at least fake it till you make it. And, you know, I always recommend people try a gratitude journal that is a gratitude for me journal. And I know that sounds a little counterintuitive, but hear me out. If every day you wrote down three things you're grateful about regarding yourself, I I really think that can be transformative, especially for the empathic leader. I am so grateful I handled that angry customer with grace today. I am so grateful that I listened to that angry employee today, and I really feel that I made him feel heard. I am so grateful that I took time for me today to actually take a lunch. Whatever it is, I think if you get in that habit of writing down three grateful for me things each day, you'll start to see your worth as a leader. That's beautiful because as more of us step into leadership roles, I think it could be 
a, a big solution for morale issues or turnover rates or financial costs over time because you don't have people who are disgruntled or, or when, again, I'm going to say it, when people feel valued and seen, they're much more likely to produce work at a level. And I think as empaths, we're able to encourage people to do that. And some things you can do are just to start small, like work that in or not to feel pressured to remain open. All of these things are bringing balance in the work environment. And that, again, is one of our superpowers. If you're in a corporate position and you're an empath, I'll use my, my analogy I always use, you're very blessed that both hemispheres light up. So you have that side of your brain that is highly intuitive, sensitive, creative, empathic, but you also have that linear, sequential, practical, grounded side, which when to an empathic leader is going to blend those two together seamlessly and provide a safe nurturing and productive work environment right and if you want to use your hemisphere example to a team you might be leading i think it's important for a leader to carefully evaluate each member of that team and think okay what do they bring to this team what do they take from this team and try to work within that paradigm you know so for example if you have a team member who's always late why not work with that I mean, I, I remember I had a boss and there was one person who was always late and our job was eight to five. And she said to that person, hey, do you want to work nine to six? How simple is that? Mm -hmm. And it gave that person an extra hour and suddenly poof, that person wasn't late anymore. And they had an extra hour at the end of the day after we'd all had gone home to kind of wrap up because that's what that, that person was a very autonomous type of individual and so that really suited them so even if someone on your team is bringing something to the table that's not working for everyone i think as a leader you can still work with that and if you're an empath you can look at that person and say okay instead of berating you for being late i'm going to think of a way to make this work for all of us and that's the key and i think as an empathic leader being brave enough to release some of the control to empower others is a key indicator of how successful you'll be and being strong enough. And it ties back into what you said about the self-sabotage. Many people will hesitate to step into a more leadership role or allow themselves to step up because they're afraid or they're conditioned or the perfectionism or I'm not. You know what really stands out in everything we've talked about today is it's getting away from that myth that empathy is somehow equated to weakness. Or, or not being strong enough to lead a team, or not being uh, harsh enough, or it's not a—it's a black and white. It's similar to what your dad said, that it's dehumanizing and it's a black and white world. And as empaths, as leaders, you would be able to step in and change that paradigm. Yeah, I agree. And I think another issue empaths have with emerging into the role of leadership is very, very few teams all agree that they love their boss. Right? Like, have you ever worked for anyone where every single member loved the boss? No. I haven't either. I'm trying to think. But no, even my, my favorite department chair, there were some people who were like, eh. And so I think empaths need to get comfortable with that notion that you're not going to make everybody happy and love you. And that's hard, I think, for us empaths to realize we're not going to please everyone. We're not going to keep everyone happy. But again, if you can go back to that round table idea of we're all in this together. So look at it, reframe that from, I might not be making everybody happy all of the time, but what I am doing is making sure everyone is heard and valued and seen and recognized and contributing equally, which means some of the times some people might not be happy, but that's just some people, some people are never going to be happy too. You have to kind of recognize that as well. There's always going to be that little rain cloud on every team. So you're an empathic leader. You're leading the team. You have brought this cohesiveness to your group. People are being productive. And then there's that, what, oh gosh, I haven't said this. And I don't know if I've ever said this. There's that sticky wicket. Have you ever said that? Sticky wicket that will no. try to sabotage you or so when you're the victim of someone on your team that's trying to undermine what you're bringing that's another whole skill set that you have to bring in what you were just saying triggered that thought of being strong enough with yourself and your leadership style to know 
that I'm not going to let that one person sour what I've worked so hard to develop with my group. Yeah. And some of those sticky wickets you can work with and some you can't. I mean, I have to bring everything back to the classroom because it's really all I know. But isn't it true, Denise, that there's one negative student can ruin an entire class for the whole semester? You can, you know, that one well, student who just sits back there and puts their feet up and smirks the whole time. I used to always start the class at the beginning of the semester and I would say, we're all in this together. None of you guys want to be here. I mean, really, nobody actually got up this morning and was like, woohoo, I can't wait to go sit in class all day. However, the law makes us all be here, so let's make the best of it. And if one or two of you are super negative, it's going to bring the rest of us down. So I would always start with like a story about how one person can kind of weigh the boat down. But if we're all in it together and we all keep our eyes on the prize, which is graduating from this class, then we can make it better. And then if that one student chose to be negative, I would hold him or her back after class. And I would say, hey, you just, you don't seem really happy in this class. I might not be the right teacher for you, but if there's something happening here that's, that's making you feel unheard or you're just, maybe you just hate English in general, just talk to me so I can work with you. 99% of the time, just making that effort would work. I mean, sometimes you're going to have that one person who just wants to be would you call it a sticky wicket? <laughs> yes, wickets. Yes, wickets. Okay, and and I it's sticky wickets. And I I was thinking about all the years that I worked with students who had behavioral challenges. So there were usually many of those folks in the room that would they were very very gifted at finding ways to do anything but what the class should be focused on. So <laughs> their special talent. Yes. <laughs> So I do think as, as we wrap up, if you do recognize that you are self-sabotaging and maybe preventing yourself from merging into the leadership role, it's really important to be aware of patterns in your life and to look at areas in your life, whether it's in relationships, career, finances, where maybe you have been self-sabotaging and start to ask yourself, why have I done this in these areas? Am I a perfectionist? Do I deny my self-worth? Am I not looking at some truths? And as we said before, make notes of the successes in your life and celebrate them. Start to really develop a relationship with yourself. Who and what makes you happy? What does success look like to you? What does it look like in your career, in your finances, your relationships, and most importantly with yourself? And step into your power by setting firm boundaries and honoring your worth. Teach others how to treat you by valuing yourself, valuing your time and your talents. And learn about your own energy and your own emotions so you can start to discern what's yours and what is not. We already know you're good at relating to others, so switch the focus to yourself and start to develop a deeper, more honest relationship with yourself. Celebrate the things you do well in your life. Write them down as we talked about. Celebrate you. Meditate daily so you can find your center, the calm in the storm, which will prevent you from falling back into old patterns. And ask for help. Talk about anything you're struggling with in your own life, with a therapist, a trusted friend, but most of all with your guides and angels. And ask for help working towards your goal for success and accept the help when it's offered. I think a lot of empaths tend to push away that help because we're much more comfortable being in the role of helper. And finally, reframe your story. The story that you tell yourself about your life is the one you will keep creating. But if you reframe your story into one of success, even times of perceived failure, oh, I learned from that, I grew from that, you will retrain your subconscious to seek out more opportunities for success that you can then add to the story you're telling yourself that's creating your life and your experiences each day. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Those are great, great uh, suggestions and very proactive ways to face your self-sabotage if it's an issue for you, but also to step away from it and heal. I mean, overall, if you think about it, we are created by a creator. And however you reframe that in your mind, whether it's God, goddess, higher being, something perfect and loving and amazing created us which means that spark is within all of us 
And I don't believe for a second that any of us were created to live small lives. And by that, I don't mean that you have to live a big life in Beverly Hills or whatever that means. I mean a big life in that you get to walk your walk and talk your talk and shine your light as bright as you can in your corner of the world. It's our destiny. It's our divine right. We are here to be co-creators. We are here to be successful and happy and to shine the brightest we can be. And so we do no one any service by dimming our light, least of all ourselves. Well, we hope this has helped you guys. If you have other tips or suggestions for being an awesome empathic leader, please feel free to share them with us. You can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or you can message us on Facebook. So as always, don't forget to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.